0: Just prior to the words that the Apostle Paul wrote here in verse number eight of Philippians chapter four, you remember that he said beginning in verse six, he says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God. And then he says, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. First of all, the word careful here as rendered in the King James Version is also rendered and better rendered actually as anxiety or anxious. And what the Apostle Paul was saying is he was giving an absolute. He says, be careful or be anxious for nothing. Now more on that in just a moment about how difficult it is and I know that it is everyone that's here under the sound of my voice truly or surely at one point in time at least in your life have had challenges that were before you that caused you to be very anxious and caused you to feel anxiety. Maybe you've been one that has worried about things in your life. These are things that happen to us as we live from day to day in the life that we have that is around us. And yet the Apostle Paul clearly states, be careful or be anxious for nothing. You know, anxiety, by definition, Mr. Thayer says, is to be pulled in different directions. It's when our hopes and our fears are pulling us in an opposite direction, uh, hopes and and our faith is pulling us in an opposite direction as our fear. That's exactly what happens when you have anxiety in your life by definition Thayer says it is a literal pulling apart that's exactly what's happening we live the Christian life and we have hopes and we have faith in the great God of heaven that he is going to be there that he's going to assist us that we don't have to live this life All by ourselves. We know that. We believe that. We have faith in the things that are not seen. Absolutely. We have hopes that Jesus Christ is going to come back again. And we're going to meet him in the air and ever be with the Lord. Those things are absolutes in our life also. But what happens to us? What happens is from time to time our fears pull against our faith. And when your fears are struggling against your faith, you are literally pulling yourself apart inside, and that is anxiety. A synonym for this word is the one that is commonly referred to as worry. And worry means, by definition, to strangle. Oh, it's certainly no wonder why the Apostle Paul said not to be anxious, because it will literally pull you apart inside It will literally strangle you, causing both physical and emotional side effects as well. You know, when we have worry and strife and worry and things like that in our life, it causes headaches. I know something about that. It causes neck pain, that too. It causes ulcers. I've had one. And even back pains as well. Worry, they tell me, affects our thinking, it affects our digestion, and it even affects our coordination. You know, I'm also told this too, that when we are faced with anxiety or there's something before us that causes us to be anxious, You know what that adrenaline feeling that you get sometimes that boost of adrenaline that's when the cortisol levels in your system are elevated and therefore they call it the fight or flight thing you have to make a decision am i going to stand here and be harmed or am i going to run when the cortisol levels are elevated in your system in your body it is normal and natural But did you know that if the cortisol levels in your body remain elevated and do not go down, it causes harmful side effects. And get this too, it even makes you get fat. It even makes you gain weight when that happens in our life. The Apostle Paul said, don't be like that. He said, don't be anxious and don't be anxious about anything. And then he gives us a formula whereby we can succeed notice where he says this first he says be careful for nothing that's an absolute but then he says pray about everything isn't it true though that oftentimes we pray when we're (coughs) desperate excuse me we pray when we're desperate we wait until we are absolutely faced with desperation We are so saddened, we are so desperate, now as an afterthought, I've tried and exhausted every other thing that I can possibly think of to do, so now I'm going to pray. That is not a pattern for success, and it's not the antidote for anxiety. Paul says, pray first. He says, pray about everything, and that also is an absolute. But the question is, what kind of prayer are the kinds of prayers that are going to help us to be successful? Number one, the Apostle Paul says he uses the word prayer. Now, oftentimes we use this word in a general sense, and rightfully so, of any time that we speak to God. You know, just a moment ago, our brother directed our minds in prayer. That is a general term for any time that we speak to God. But did you know that this word means more than just speaking to God? Notice the pattern that the Apostle Paul is laying out for us and the formula for success against anxiety. He says pray about everything, and this is how you're going to do it. When you come to God in prayer, this word means praise and adoration. Oh, it's a time that we bow the knee before the great God of heaven, and we tell him how great he is. We praise him because he is worthy of such. We give him all the credit, all the glory, and all the honor for being the great architect of this universe that we live in. We bow before his presence, and we exalt him in every single way because he's worthy and because he's deserving of such. But you know, there's something else that is good by praising God that we learn in our prayers. When we come to God and pray like this first, see what we do sometimes is when we're desperate, we may have a loved one that's sick, we may be losing a job, we may be in financial problems or whatever it is. So we go to God and the very first thing we do is, please God, help me through this, or please God, remove this, and so on and so forth. Paul says this, and I don't think they're listed in this order just out of coincidence. He says, when you pray, you come together and you pray to God, and you do so in praise and adoration to him and for him. And when you do, you give him what he deserves. But number two, what else? Have you ever prayed to God because your problem was so big you couldn't even fathom how you're going to get through it? I've done that. Everyone that's here has done that. When your problem seems greater than you can bear, so you desperately pray to God for relief in that regard. But if you prayed like this and you exalt God, there's something else that it does too. It changes your mental outlook on things, doesn't it? Because now what you have thought was so great, in comparison to how great God is, it pales in comparison. Now it's time to let your requests be made known, and the Apostle Paul says with supplication. Supplication is the time that you pour out your requests. You let your requests be made known unto God. Now why do we do that? It is true that this great God of heaven that we've been speaking of that we've been praising and all of that it is true that he knows me so well that even the very hairs on my head are numbered he knows my needs before I ask him there is nothing in this whole world that I could say to God that he does not know and the purpose of this is such as the Bible teaches we come together and let our requests be made known unto God because the Bible says you have not because you ask not therefore the blessings of God the help of God the assistance from God and all of that is waiting us if we will pour our hearts out to him and ask in faith believing according to his will but thirdly Paul says pray with thanksgiving Thanksgiving, that's a time that we thank him and appreciate him for all that he has done before. Have you ever been like me at least once in your life and you you bowed before God and you poured your heart out and you just asked God for so many things and then God answered that prayer in a favorable fashion but then you forgot to thank him. I just wonder how many things happen in our life where we ask God from day to day for certain things, he blesses us and we forget, and then we never thank him. You know, I don't know about you, but the greatest thing that I can ever receive from my children is heartfelt thank you. That's great. It's the look of appreciation on their face when you do something for another. And that's exactly what God is waiting for and longing for. It is our appreciation for all that he has done. This is a formula for success against the anxieties and the stresses and the worries that we might have in our life. This is a pattern whereby we may be successful for Paul said, be careful for nothing, but in everything we need to pray. But when Paul was through with this, and after he said that, the very next verse, he gives us more of a formula. He gives us more of what to do. He says, then, when you do that, now it's time to think. Or, the same word think here is meditate. He's telling us now what to do it is not just enough to pray now you have to do something you have to get up and you have to have a certain frame of mind you have to have a certain thing in your life that is priorities and I better be first these are things that he's telling us in God's Word that we must meditate upon and then he gives a list of the things whereby you and I are supposed to think or meditate he says, whatsoever our things are true, things that are noble, things that are just, things that are pure, things that are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. You know, the practice of meditation by Christians is not something that you might hear very frequently. I don't know that I have. I've never preached on this subject ever. Oh, I've talked about these things that are found in this verse, but I have never actually preached a sermon on the idea of meditation. I don't know when the last time that you heard a sermon on that, but I can't personally remember hearing a sermon on the idea of med- of meditation. It may be though that the Christian is simply not aware that they are commanded to meditate. It may be that some believe that meditation belong solely to Eastern religions like Hinduism or Buddhism. And yet the Apostle Paul clearly teaches us to meditate on these things. And therefore, meditation is certainly a biblical subject. Oh, there's many examples in God's Word when there were those that meditated You remember that Isaac meditated in the field at eventide in Genesis 24 and verse 63. Joshua was charged by God to meditate day and night, Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 8. The blessed man in Psalms 1 is the one who meditates. Now I know that we read this passage of scripture talking about the progression of sin and rightfully so. But notice, there's more to it than just the description of the progression of sin. Notice in Psalms chapter 1, beginning there in verse 1. The psalmist David said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly secondly he said blessed is the man that does not stand in the way of sinners and thirdly he says blessed is the man that does not sit in the seat of the scornful that is true there are three things that one that is going to be one that's going to be blessed of god is the one that's not going to stand he's not going to sit he's not going to dwell with those that are in sin but how do you do that After all, isn't it it true that in our life we have more distractions all around us maybe than ever before? How can I do that? The psalmist David says this, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Day and night. You know, David became wiser than his teachers, the Bible says, through meditation in Psalms 119 and 99. Listen to this very amazing passage of scripture where where the uh, psalmist David records these words. He says, I have more understanding than all of my teachers for thy testimonies are my meditation. I guess the art of being a teacher would be I know it's the art of being a parent, at least it is for me. I want to rear my children in such a way that they live their life and become better than I am. That's what I want. I want to proudly feel like my children have accomplished far more than I've accomplished. I hope and pray that my children know more about the Bible than I ever knew. I hope that they become better people than I've ever been. I hope and pray that that's the case. But you know, when you have a student that's following a teacher, it isn't often and it isn't common that the student will surpass the teacher unless the student diligently does certain things. The teacher can teach it, he can preach it, he can go over it, he can remind them, he can repeat it, and on and on and on. But the student has the responsibility of doing something to surpass the instructor and David said this I have more understanding than all my teachers why for thy testimonies are my meditation the student must in fact take these things meditate upon them and and improve themselves as a result but you know there are questions that might come to mind and these questions are certainly worthy of an answer three questions now number one What does meditation mean to the Christian? Number two, why should we be concerned about making time to meditate? And number three, how do we do it? For a little while now, I'm going to attempt to answer these questions for us. First of all, let me just say this. When we discuss biblical meditation, let me just talk about what it is not. You know, if I were to go out in the world today, today, tomorrow, whatever it was, and I were to walk up to people at random, say I chose 10 people, and I were to go up to them at random, and I were to say, give me the very first thing that comes to your mind when I say the word meditation. Listen, I'm not trying to make fun, but isn't it true that the majority of people The majority of people in the world would say that the very first interpretation or the very first thing that they have in their mind by way of their uh, thoughts and by the way that they perceive it would be someone sitting Indian style. With their hands like this making those circles with their hands i don't know what that is the circles and sitting there with their eyes closed and humming a little tune as they sit there in meditation contemplating whatever it is that they're contemplating that's not the meditation of the bible that's not the meditation that's found in god's word It's not the kind that's practiced by many Eastern religions like Hinduism and Buddhism or transcendental meditation, where the object is to experience truth, experience peace and being that is inexpressible. It is not the kind that is practiced by quote unquote, Christian mystics like Quakers and others found among Roman Catholics and Protestants. These meditate in order to experience God or to receive some revelation from God. In other words, they meditate thinking that if they can take their mind and they can clear their mind, in fact, that's exactly one of the definitions of some of their meditation in Eastern religions, you take your mind and you empty it and then you sit there and you meditate and you, and you focus and you're ever so still and quiet waiting to receive some revelation that's going to come to you, that's going to make it very clear, and you're gonna receive it for the very first time. But is that what the meditation of the Bible is all about? Eastern and Christian mystics quote-unquote meditates for the purpose of subjective meditation empty the mind in order to find some received truth that they've never known before but the meditation of the Bible by definition get this now it's to dwell or contemplate on some truth or reality already revealed it is a objective form of meditation In other words, every single thing that has ever been revealed to man has already been revealed. Every single thing that is going to be revealed to man has already been revealed. There is nothing spiritually that you will ever learn that is not already found in God's Word. Now, it very well may be that you didn't understand something in God's Word, and because of prayerful study, you now understand it, whereas 10 years ago, maybe you did not but that was not a form of revelation to you through meditation. It's something already revealed, here it is, and you meditate upon what has already been revealed, and that is the meditation of the Bible. To be more specific, the man after God's own heart is one who meditates on such things like the Lord himself. I want you to notice now some of these things that if our minds are focused on various things, it is going to help us to not do other things. Have you ever found yourself, you're trying to live the Christian life, you really want to, deep down in your heart, you really aspire to do the things that are right in living the Christian life. But all of a sudden, as you go out into the world, you are faced with temptations as they come your way. And it just seems like, and all oh, are you ever so sorry when you do, but it just seems like these are things cast before us in our life, and what do we do? We stub our toe here, we fall down there, we trip over here, because our minds are not actively seeking what it should. You know, you know this as well as I do. You've heard me preach this for years and years and years and years. And you know this. But you can't do two opposite things at the same time. It is impossible. It is impossible for me to meditate on Jesus Christ himself, the Lord Jesus Christ that gave his life on Calvary's cross for me and shed his blood there for the sins of the world, It is not possible right at that moment for me to meditate on Christ and at the very same time be thinking about sinful things and sinful pleasures. I have to stop doing one in order to do the other. What's Paul saying? He's telling us meditate or occupy your minds. Occupy your minds. My grandfather used to say, Frank Brancato, the one that I was named after, used to say, as you know, idle hands are tools of the devil. And then he would say this, but an idle mind is his workshop. We can never empty the mind and clear the mind. Oh, no, we need to occupy the mind. The question is, what are we occupying the mind on? Well, we need to occupy the mind on the Lord Himself. Here's three verses of Scripture that are found in the book of Psalms Psalm 63 and verse number 6 says, When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. There's nothing greater to do in your life than meditate on Jesus Christ. The one that was the greatest man that ever lived there was no greater and there never ever will be anyone that's greater than Jesus Christ not only was he the lamb of God not only was he the sacrifice for the whole world but we're talking about someone that lived in this world for about 33 years or so and in doing so get this we stumble all the time don't we he lived here for 33 plus years or so and never committed one sin and yet the bible says he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin if we would focus on his example and think about jesus how can we ever fall from grace how can we ever ever fall But you know, David speaks of some more things about Jesus. He gets more specific about him. In Psalm 77 and verse 12, he says, Meditate on the works, the good works of Jesus. And David said, I will meditate also of all thy work. Get this. And talk of thy doings. This is someone that finds in God's revealed word about Jesus, about his works, meditates upon them all day long, whatever it takes, here and there, meditating on that, and meditating on all the wonderful works of Christ, and then, uh, David says, and then I will speak of those works. What a great pattern. Now I'm talking about better things, aren't I? I'm talking about Jesus in my life. I'm not likely to tell a dirty story. I'm not likely to tell something that I shouldn't. I'm not likely to be uh, uh, overcome with the temptation of gossip and start speaking to others about other people that I should keep my mouth shut about. I am very unlikely, folks, to do those kind of things if I'm thinking about Jesus and I'm thinking about all of his good works and I'm telling others about it. Third thing. The obvious thing, focus and meditate on his revealed word. In Psalm 119, in verses 15 and 16, David said, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. You know, to simply put it in the words of the Apostle Paul, We are to meditate on things. We are to meditate on things. What things? He's already given them to us. True, noble, just, pure, lovely, and of good report, and so on. Things that are of virtue and are praiseworthy. And the purpose of our meditation is to nourish ourselves with the understanding of God and his revealed will. Not to seek for some previously unrevealed truth. It is to give man spiritual joy and strength through such nourishment. Now notice, here this very amazing passage as found in Isaiah chapter 40 beginning in verse 28. Listen to this. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There's no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint not and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up the wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Oh, the nourishment that we get from meditating upon the proper things, meditating on God's Word. But number two this morning, though, why should we do it well we've just talked about a source of strength psalms 1 verses 1 and 2 we talked about blessed is the man that doesn't do these things why when he's not doing these things it's because he's doing these things he's meditating on proper things we get the nourishment and help that we need and encouragement that we need in the passage that we just read from the book of isaiah it's an important part also number two though of our transformation you know, a goal of a Christian is to become more like Jesus Christ in all the days that we live. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, the Apostle Paul would say that God has called those who will conform to the image of His Son. You know what that means? That means that I am living in this world but I cannot continue the way that I live I cannot continue in the way that I am I'm in the world when I am converted to Christ I change my heart I change my life and I change my relationship I change my values and my priorities you know that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was speaking of in Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2 when the Apostle Paul said that a a person that's going to be acceptable in the eyes of God is one who is transformed. That means I have to change into something else because God will not accept me in the worldly state that I'm in until I transform myself and change. And that is repentance. Repentance. Meditation is valuable because it is a helpful tool in the transformation process. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You can't be transformed, folks, without continually being renewed in the mind. And the only way that you can renew your mind is to meditate upon these things in this book. That's the only way you renew your mind. And folks, I'm not just talking about coming down here on Sunday morning and hearing God's word and renewing your mind. Or Sunday night also, or Wednesday night, or whatever it is. That's not enough renewing. We're spending far too many times, far too many hours in the world. And when we think about that, if the only nourishment we're getting and the only reminders that we're getting and the only time we renew our mind is in the public assembly of the Lord's church when we hear a sermon from the pulpit, that is not enough renewing to make you transformed and to make you all that you need to be for the Lord. If I'm transformed I'm changed. You ever have, hear somebody say, Oh, did you see Johnny? Man, he's changed. I never thought he had it in him. He's changed. You ever see someone that lived their life for sake of a better term as the devil's disciple himself. And then all of a sudden, they come down the aisle with tears in their eyes, repenting, of all that they'd done, and humbly submitting to Jesus Christ, confessing him as the Son of God, and being baptized for the remission of his sins, and from that point forward, his life is different, he acts different, because that man is changed. The only way we can stay changed, though, folks, and not change back, is to meditate on things above, and not on things on the earth. You know what's very sad is many Christians fall because they meditate on the wrong things. They mind the things of the flesh which lead to spiritual death and enmity with God. And yet the world even understands, the world even understands that a person cannot be spiritual and dwell on carnal things. I want you to listen to this study that was done by Stanford University. I thought this was rather interesting because these are types of things that we speak of all the time when we preach God's word. I'm so thankful that some of our very educated people, educated doctors, as it were, in in aspects such as this, I'm so thankful that they're catching up to the Bible. A recent study was done by Stanford University about this. Listen, recent studies conducted by Stanford University and the Stanford University team reveal that what we watch has an effect on our imaginations, it has an effect on our learning patterns, and it has an effect on our behaviors. Listen, this is just viewing things. It's saying that if I go and I am viewing something, whatever that is, good or bad, that is going to influence what I am, the decisions that I make, and the values that I establish in my life. Scary, isn't it? Even casual contemplation. Watch, it goes further. First, this is how it happens, we're exposed to new behaviors and new characters. Secondly, We learn to acquire these new behaviors. And thirdly, the last and most crucial step is that then we adopt these behaviors and we adopt them just like they are our very own. One of the most critical aspects of human development that we need to understand is the influence of repeated viewing and repeated verbalizing in shaping our future. This is what happens. The information goes in ever so harmlessly, or so it seems, uh, almost unnoticed. It goes in on a daily, repeated basis. We don't react to it until later when we aren't able to realize the basis for our reactions. Did you get that? You know what the study proved? They're saying that what you view, what you listen to, what you are uh, constantly exposed to on a regular basis... When you're not even aware, over time, you're going to start adopting these behaviors. You're going to start adopting these things, these values. And then, before you can say don't do it, as it were, you're going to be faced with something, and all of a sudden, the new behavior and the way you're going to respond is just like you've been exposed. Their conclusion was this. In other words, our value system is being formed without any conscious awareness on our part and our conscious awareness of what's happening. And get this, I love this. They summed it up by saying, you see, you are what you watch and you are what you think. Oh, the Bible so long ago said just that. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What you think about, what you meditate upon, what you watch on television, all the things that you surround yourself, all of these things are influencing your behavior, and it will manifest itself in some point in time if you don't get a hold of it. The Super Bowl is coming up. You know what's very famous about that? Commercials. In fact, I saw yesterday, I saw an advertisement for, we need advertisements and commercials for the Super Bowl and so what they're doing is they're trying to come up with various forms of things that they can uh, put on the television set when the majority of people are going to be watching that game on television you know why you know why they spend a million dollars or better a minute in advertising their product because they know that for 60 seconds if they can keep flashing something before your eyes that eventually it will cause you to buy their product And their studies have indicated that more times than not, that's exactly what happens. Here's the point of of this Stanford study, the last thing. It said if a 60-second viewing of a repeated over-and-over commercial ever flashing before your eyes can influence you in such a way that you go out and buy the product, then isn't it true that a 60-minute soap opera or smutcom? repeatedly before us, isn't it just possible that it's selling us on a lifestyle? Folks, it surely is. If 60 seconds of repeated viewing can do it, then 60 minutes ever before us on things we have no business watching, it affects our lifestyle too. And over time, we become desensitized, and all of a sudden, things don't shame us anymore. Somebody says a word on television, it doesn't shame us like it did five, ten years ago because it was never on television. Now it is. It's all around us. The entire point and the entire lesson of this part is this. We have to be very careful about even the casual contemplation on anything in our life. And that's why Paul said... After you do this, here's a pattern. You got your mind on things. You, you know what? You're, you're, you're focused on that and all that. Now you got to think. Think on what? Think on these things. Because Paul knew if you don't do that and you don't proactively do that, then the other things are going to be before you and you're going to fall. We need to reach the heights of spiritual meditation in our life by focusing on God's Word. It helps us to be transformed. It fills our minds with positive and spiritual thoughts. It continually renews the mind. You know, I know a sister that's here, and I know that every day, every day, she opens up her Bible and she renews her mind. I know that for a fact. Every day, she knows quite a lot about the Bible. I appreciate that very much about her. She meditates on God's Word. She told me that she actually has one Bible out and then another Bible out, and she reads a passage of Scripture and studying it, and then she leaves that there so she doesn't lose her train of thought. But she's so focused, she now goes to this Bible. if She wants to reference other passages. This is a person that is trying to meditate on things above. That renews your mind. Have you ever read your Bible for an hour? And then as soon as you close the book, you felt the temptation that's ever so strong? I doubt it. Think on these things. You know, it doesn't have to be restricted to the Bible. Paul says, whatsoever things, there are things that are good and wholesome in life. They surely are. And if they are of value and virtue, and if they're praiseworthy, you think on those things. If they fit the criteria that Paul has given us, you focus on those things. But let's be very discriminatory in the casual contemplation that exists with us today. Make the Bible a primary focus uh, for, for this meditation. Read the word of God with a prayer in your heart. As you read the Word of God, occasionally read it aloud. Reading it slowly and audibly helps to focus one's mind on the words. And in conclusion, study like this. Ask yourself when you're contemplating and studying and meditating upon God's Word, ask yourself number one, is there a truth that I should know from this verse? Number two, ask yourself, how does this passage of Scripture? How does, it, how does it affect any previously held convictions? Number three, ask yourself, if, if, is there something that I should stop doing in light of this verse? Number four, is there a practice that I should change in my life? Number five, is there a habit that I need to begin? Folks, that's somebody that doesn't have a preconceived idea of what they're going to believe that fits whatever they feel at the moment. That is somebody that is willing with an open mind, a truly open mind. Open for what? What's already been revealed. And you study it with a prayer in your heart. You meditate upon it. You apply it in your life. And Paul said, if you do that, you're going to be successful in living the Christian life. Tonight, if you come back, Lord willing, I'm going to talk about the very next verse briefly. But Paul said something very interesting. Now, think about this. Think about Paul's life. Think about he was in bonds. He was under house arrest. And you know what he was doing? He had the anxiety, I would imagine, before him as a man that knew that when this impending trial was coming, he's probably going to lose his life. He set a pattern in verse 9. All the things that you've heard from me, all the things that you've learned from me, all the things that you've seen in me, do those things. And finally, he sums it up by saying this, that no matter what state that I'm in, and notice what his state was in, regardless of the state that I'm in, I have learned therewith to be content, and finally, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In summary, let's hold the Word of God safe and secure to our heart until it's affected every phase of our life. That is true biblical meditation. And may we be able to pray prayers like the psalmist David did in Psalm 19 and verse 14 when he said this, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And as the Apostle Paul says, Go and do these things likewise. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m., and 5 p.m., and Wednesdays at 7 30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.